Welcome to the Vet Med Wellness and Leadership Podcast, where we discuss central challenges vet med leaders face, such as burnout, stress, and difficult interactions with clients and staff, just to name a few. In each episode, you will hear about actionable solutions that you can apply to your practice and invitations to connect with fellow leaders who are passionate about improving the wellness of the vet med profession. By subscribing, liking, commenting, or sharing this podcast, you're helping more veterinary professionals find the resources shared in these episodes. Thank you in advance for listening and supporting this show. I hope you enjoy it. Hey, everybody, it's Crystal Stokes, and joining me today is Rahul Chajed. He is the first vice president and senior director of Matthews Healthcare Division at Matthews Real Estate Investment Services. He's one of the most active healthcare real estate brokers with a heavy emphasis on veterinary real estate. And I believe you're also kind of my neighbor out here in California. That's right. Thanks for having me on. Excellent. Yeah. So I'll say to those listening today, you might be thinking real estate, veterinary medicine, what are we talking about? So I'd say this episode is really perfect for any veterinary professionals who who currently own veterinary real estate and may be considering selling or may want to better understand the current value of the real estate. Uh, through, Through the lens of wellness, we all know that financial strain and hardship are commonly cited as major stressors faced by veterinary professionals. And Rahul aims to help reduce financial stress and increase financial well-being by helping vet med professionals understand important aspects of real estate, such as how to negotiate lease terms and what to look for in corporate guarantees. So again, like, thank you for being here with us today. I would love to just start with a little bit of your backstory. I'm very curious how you even got into veterinary real estate. Yeah, it's a good question. Well, thanks for having me on. It's not often you get to speak with the uh, Wendy Rhodes of, of Vet Med. Um, but uh, yeah, I could give you a background. So, you know, I started um, about a decade ago in commercial real estate selling retail properties. So I was selling retail assets like convenience stores, drug stores, and my partner and I, um, you know, my, my business partner, he's actually my best friend too, uh, growing up. And, you know, we decided, Hey, we were selling our, we, we, were, we cut our teeth selling a lot of dialysis facilities early on. And we sold like 20 or 25 in a year. And we were like, Hey, I think there's something to this healthcare space. So we looked under the hood and we were like, okay, well, let's, let's check this out. And, you know, what we found was there were a lot of subspecialties in healthcare and I consider animal healthcare, healthcare as well. And, we saw that there were, you know, there was a ton of consolidation going on. There were private equity companies buying uh, independently operated practices in the human health side. You had health system buying up regional practices, and we said, look, a lot of the the real estate is owned by the physician themselves. And so, with all this consolidation going on, essentially, what's happening is a lot of these owner user properties, these vet hospitals, these medical office buildings, these dental buildings. Uh, they're essentially being converted into net lease properties. And we have a background in net lease and we understand how net lease pricing works, the enhancement value that comes with the property being converted into a net lease asset. And so we said, hey, I think there's something to it. And we just made a bet on vet real estate. I mean, on healthcare real estate as a whole, but we made a specific bet in vet too, because we had there's so much consolidation going on specifically in vet medicine. And fast forward to now, um, you know, we sell more vet real estate than anybody in the country. And our main or one of our main lines of focus is getting in contact with veterinarians all over the country and just asking them, hey, what's going on with the real estate? Uh, have you sold your practice? Do you plan on selling it? Here's what to look out for. Here's how you optimize value. 
And if you do want to sell your real estate, you know, we could, we could facilitate that as well. So, you know, honestly, it was just from observing uh, the healthcare space and then just taking a deeper dive and, you know, just trying to ride that tidal wave of the consolidation that was going on in, in vet medicine. Makes sense. Okay. Uh, you know, you have to answer this one. Do you have any pets? Uh, you know what? I don't, I don't, unfortunately, <laughs> but I'm going to get one soon. I'm going to get one soon. I'm going to hold you to that and have you back on the podcast to talk all about your pet next. Yeah. I had a turtle when I was a kid. Does that count? It totally counts. What kind of turtle okay. was it? Was it a little turtle or a tortoise? It was a, it was a little turtle. My grandma actually got it for me. I was like five years old. That's and sweet. He brought home a turtle for me. His name was Max. <laughs> Very appropriate name for a turtle. Yeah. Cool. So do you have any stories about common mistakes that you see owners making regarding the real estate? Yeah. I mean, unfortunately it happens way too often. I can't tell you the amount of time. It, it literally is countless. The amount of times we'll get in contact with a veterinarian or we're looking at a lease that they just signed. You know, they just sold the practice for a great multiple. They're super happy. And now we evaluate the real estate and they ended up signing a three-year lease or a five-year lease at a below market rent, maybe with a termination option, uh, maybe with below market rental increase structures. And literally they've been countless amounts of times where we've We've seen millions of dollars left on the table because so much of the value of these buildings is dependent on the lease that's signed, right? Who the tenant is behind the lease. Obviously, the location matters, but who the tenant is on the lease, what sort of lease are they signing? What sort of responsibilities have they uh, have they allocated to the landlord versus the tenant? So all of these things come into play. And we have a niche focus. Not everyone is thinking about that when they're negotiating a practice sale. You know, what they're thinking about is, hey, how do I maximize the dollars on the practice sale? And then the bonus, the upside is also getting at least a stream of lease income over the next five, seven or 10 years. But how you structure that lease can seriously impact the value of your building. So honestly, it's not just one or two. I could probably rattle off 25 if I think about it in terms of how many hundreds of thousands, millions of dollars are left on the table. Yeah. And I, what I, what I really like about the work you're doing and what I connected with when we met is how much like blood, sweat, and tears veterinary professionals put into their practice. Mm-hmm. And when it comes time to finally, you know, move on, sell, or wh- whatever next steps they're taking, I want them to be in a position of being informed. Because yeah. um, I can't imagine the crushing regret that would come to learn that so much money was left on the table. Again, this is your life force energy that's going into running this practice. So I think that you know, knowledge is power, and that's what we're here to do today is to provide more knowledge. So we're going to go through a series of pro tips, real estate pro tips that you have. And uh, we're just going to go through is about, uh, I'd say, seven different tips we're going to talk about today. The first one um, is all about net lease property. What is it? Why is it important? Yeah. So net lease property is a piece of real estate that's on a triple net lease, typically a triple net lease. So essentially what a triple net lease is, is a lease where the tenant takes care of all the management responsibilities. So they take care of the management responsibilities, the tax expenses, and the insurance expenses. And so why it's called a triple net is there's three ends. It means net of taxes, net of of insurance expenses, net of management. So when these veterinary operators come in, they're typically signing triple net leases to offer the landlord a passive form of real estate ownership. Got it. Okay. So that's the NNN. That's mm-hmm. how we might see that written. Okay, great. Um, and how is it that this, what is it about the NNN that influences the valuation of a property? Yeah. I mean, so many times these vet hospitals or you take any piece of real estate, the way you evaluate what the true value is of the building is you take a look at what the land is worth and what the improvements that sit on top of that land are worth, right? You join them together and that's your overall price. 
When you have a stream of income attached, now it becomes an income producing property. And so what you do is you assign a rate of return. You assign an implied level of risk to that asset. You say, hey, based off of the amount of income that's coming in, right? it's a fixed income asset. So based on the amount of income that's coming in, what am I willing to pay for this piece of real estate, for this investment property? And there's a lot of things that influence that determination. There's the location. There's how long the lease you have in place. There's the credit profile of a tenant. right? So for example, if you have a lease with VCA, one of the largest veterinary operators in the world, that building is going to be considered much safer than if you had a lease to an independent uh, veterinarian that maybe has two veterinarians at the practice and has only been around for five years. That implied guarantor, that implied financial backing is what allows someone to pay much more for a fixed amount of income than versus less. Does that make sense? Yeah, that totally makes sense. So say more about this when, when you're in a position to sign a lease with a consolidator. You're kind of mentioning something like VCA. I'm thinking consolidation. Um, what should I know about that? Well, the first things first is you just... What I would say is you want to make sure you tap on a real estate broker that understands the different implications and the nuances of these leases. So you know, just to rattle off the high-level points, you want to make sure you're negotiating as long of a lease term as possible. You want to make sure you're negotiating as high of a rental rate as possible, as long as it's not absurdly above market. You want to make sure that the rental increases that are being offered, that the tenant is offering to pay throughout the lease are in line with market. Well, what's in line? How is that determined? Typically, you want to be at a minimum of 2% a year annually. Sometimes you see 3%, sometimes you see a little bit more, but generally the average is between 2% and 3% a year. And that that's really just because of where inflation has historically been. Right? If you look at inflation, inflation has always hovered around 2%. And so what the thinking is there is you want to own a fixed income asset that's not getting beat up by inflation. You want it to be a hedge against inflation. So every single year that rent is growing just to make sure you're you're not losing money due to, due to inflationary effects. Okay. So, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, we, the part you said earlier around negotiating a long of a lease term as possible, how do I know where to set the bar? Like, what is there a way to find out what's typical in my area or for yeah. my type of practice? That's a really good question. So in the overall net lease world, usually the longest forms of leases you see, longest terms you see are 20 years. That's not really common in the vet space or definitely even in the healthcare space. Usually the longest leases you'll see are 15 years. But what's considered a long-term lease in the space is 10 years minimum. So that's what every investor should be going for. Anything below that is considered, you know, short to a medium term lease. Really to be able to fetch the most amount of value for these buildings is negotiating as long of a lease term as possible. Because if you just think about it, right? If you invest in a building and that's $3 million and that building, let's say it's, we're using VCA as an example. Let's, let's say, let's say it's leased by VCA. If they have a 10 year term on that lease, meaning they're guaranteeing an income stream for 10 years. You're willing to pay much more for that asset because you have that locked in term. Now, if that deal, that same deal had three years remaining, well, the implied risk is much higher because you only have three years of guaranteed income. So the rate of return that you're going to need to receive for the amount of money you invest needs to be much higher. But that return you're receiving is fixed. Mm -hmm. So what that does is affects pricing. So the less amount of lease term, the lower the rental increases, the smaller the operator the higher the return is that some investor is going to need to receive. Therefore, the less they're going to be willing to pay for that specific asset. Yeah, that totally makes sense. If I put myself in the position of being a buyer and I saw Mm -hmm. that 10-year lease term, I'd say, ooh, that looks great. Yeah. Get more of a guarantee. It's safer. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it inflates the value of the real estate because 
you know, back to what we had just discussed earlier, the building, the inherent value of the building, that real estate is just the land, the improvements. When you get a lease in place, it, it significantly increases the value of the building. And so many times you want to make sure that you're maximizing that value when you're not negotiating that lease. You know, if you if you negotiate a 10-year lease versus a five-year lease, well, those five years of uh, term that you lost out on could have cost you a million dollars, as we've seen before, sometimes even more in many cases. So that's just, it's, a, it's, it's important to be mindful of that, just making sure you're securing as much as possible. Because right. this is one opportunity. There's not going to be any single point in time during the life of the lease where you're going to be able to get a 10-year term. If you signed a five-year term initially, and that tenant has also provided you with three five-year renewal options, well, at what point are you ever going to be able to bring it out to 10 years? You won't be. And so that, that was your opportunity and you missed your shot. Mm. And you could dive... Sorry, I, I was also just going to say, and you could also dive into why it makes sense to sell with a fresh 10-year lease. There's a lot in net lease to consider, like every lease term that every every year that burns off the lease term, right? That deal is decreasing in value because that cap rate's going up. And so many times owners look to sell. They're like, hey, I, I want to get rid of the real estate. And they just found out that you know, a veterinary friend of theirs or someone in their community or their network sold for a six cap or a six and a half cap. And the unfortunate thing is their leases weren't made the same. And if that lease term was half of the length or, you know, didn't have rental increases or had a, had a termination clause or something that negatively impacts the value of the building, it's a tough conversation to have. And fortunately, whatever's set is then just set. Oh, I see. This is, it's so uh, nuanced. And I can see why having a, a broker or someone to speak with about this to like, plan out the next steps and be really strategic about how you're going to go move forward with any plans with your real estate can be very helpful. Mm. I wanted to circle back to the net lease just to make sure I understand it. So NNN, um, what if I came to you and I said, I don't have that in place? What would you, how would you advise me? What should I do? So that's another thing that influences the value of the building is the lease structure. So the most desirable lease structure, the optimal structure for the value of your building is having an absolute triple net lease. That's where everything is placed on the tenant. Everything from major capital expenditures like roof, structure, HVAC, parking lot, uh, all tax expenses, all insurance expenses, completely taken care of uh, by the tenant, paid directly to those third-party vendors. And as you start allocating more responsibilities to the landlord, that lease structure becomes less and less desirable. Mm -hmm. And so you can go all the way down the board. You could go to modify triple net. You could go to double net. You could go to modified gross. You could go to gross lease. And the more and more responsibilities that are put in the landlord, the less and less desirable that out, that that asset becomes. Not just from a management standpoint, because there might be owners that live down the street or in the same city that are like, hey, I'm used to managing assets. It's really no biggie for me. Really, the reason why it negatively impacts the value of your real estate is, hey, the management. But it's also you're really decreasing that buyer pool. Because you could have a buyer in New York that buys an asset in Colorado because it's triple net. There's not really a ton of management responsibilities that come with the ownership of that asset. But if you have an asset where you have to take care of everything, all the maintenance, taxes, insurance, you know, you're it, you're really shrinking that buyer pool to maybe just local buyers. And obviously, if there's less demand for an asset, that pricing comes down too. Wow. Interesting. All right. Now I'm putting my, myself in the shoes of being uh, a property owner and say practice owner as well. And let's say I, I have you know money to allocate. What do I do with it? I'm you know my first thought is you know I put it back in the practice for the EBITDA, but there's also you know okay should I be doing something else with it? Put it towards my lease. Like how do I know what to do with this extra money to be most beneficial? Yeah, so that's a it's a really good point. It's very interesting. So 
you have to be mindful of where the veterinary practice market is right now, right? Where M&A deals are getting done, what a lot of these consolidators are paying in terms of multiples for some of these practices. So at the height of the market, you were seeing practices literally selling for north of 20 times uh, multiples on adjusted EBITDA. Now, obviously, as rates have gone up and that demand is compressed a little bit, those multiples are starting to come down. And so what I would say is you want to consult with your practice broker and understand and they have their place too. They're specialists in what they do, much needed. I would advise everyone to go tap on an M&A broker or practice broker when selling their practice. Mm -hmm. And I would say real estate brokers are important too, right? And so you want to ask your practice broker, hey, look at my financials, figure out what my adjusted EBITDA is and project for me based off of your knowledge of the marketplace, what this practice is going to sell for on a multiple. And then you want to tap on your real estate broker and say, hey, look, if I got a 10-year lease with BCA, what sort of pricing would I be looking at? What would be the value of the building? And so the, you know, let's say the practice broker tells you, hey, look, you could sell the practice for eight times adjusted EBITDA, right? And let's say I tell someone, hey, the building, this building with a 10-year lease is probably worth a seven cap, right? So a seven cap, by the way, just so I, I don't want to confuse your, your listeners, a cap rate is just a fancy way of saying rate of return. So again, if you invest $2 million into a building and that building returns you $140,000, that's a seven cap. So when you turn a cap rate on its head, you just flip it upside down, that's a multiple. Got it. So a seven cap is a 14 times multiple. Hmm. So when practices were trading at 20 times, those dollars were much more valuable allocated towards the EBITDA than they were towards the lease payments and the real estate. Now that practice multiples have come down, and this is why you got to ask both sides, you got to figure out where valuations are. Now, if you have a practice that's going to sell for an eight times multiple, and I'm telling you this deal is going to trade for a seven cap, which is around a 14 times multiple, that means every dollar you take away from the practice, but that you allocate to the real estate or the lease, you're going to get a six times difference, a six times net benefit for allocating it towards the real estate. So you just want to have an understanding of what those valuations look like and then just be strategic about where those dollars are going. Because many times veterinarians, and I don't blame them, they're many times thinking, hey, I just want to boost the EBITDA as much as possible and get the biggest payout in the practice. But many times they just haven't had the awareness that, hey, there's a whole segment of this that you know is real estate that's worth considering. And many times that can, you know, what you allocate to the towards the practice can negatively impact the real estate. Oh, right. That makes sense. All right. Another question I have, I'm again, putting myself in the shoes of being a practice owner and, and property owner. Um, I'm thinking about security. Like when it comes to things like tenants and how to avoid, you know, like termination clauses and how that might affect the value of my real estate. Can you speak to that? Yeah. So you want to make sure I would say never agree to a termination clause. There are some situations where companies will be like, Hey, you know, we'll have an employment agreement. If you're not employed here after three years, we're gonna, we're gonna we have the unilateral right to terminate the lease term. I would say that definitely is an industry standard. You know, if they're going to sign for a 10-year lease and if they have a termination clause in year five, you effectively only have a five-year lease. And so that's I would say that's a complete non-starter when we're advising clients is make sure there are no termination options in your lease term. Because at the end of the day, it's all just based off of guaranteed term. How much guarantee, if you even plan on holding the real estate and you don't want to sell it, well, still, you only have a few years worth of guaranteed income. Anything could happen year six, year seven, year eight. And what you saw in the vet space, especially over the past three years, is so much private equity fueled growth. Now, there's a ton of operators out there that are, you know, you know, top of the line, um, you know, solid, solid operators with great reputations that are doing well. But there's also operators out there that 
grew too fast and it took on a ton of debt. And you have no idea what's going to happen in three, five, seven years. Are they going to sell to a new private equity company? Or are they going to fold? You just never know. So that plays into just understanding A, who your tenant is, but also just making sure you have a long-term lease where that balance sheet is guaranteeing the entire term, the full uh, rental obligations that come with that primary lease term. Mm-hmm, got it. And I've heard this this term too, uh, like corporate guarantee. Mm-hmm. What is that? Why is it important? Yeah. So a corporate guarantee. So it plays into what I was talking about earlier is the larger the balance sheet behind the lease, the larger the guarantor size, the safer an asset is, right? Because if I have a lease to VCA, let's just say, that's a multi-billion dollar company. I know for sure, even if they shut down that location, I'm getting, not for sure, but it's a very, very high likelihood that they will be able to fulfill their rental obligations, right? If you have a deal leased to a private operator that maybe has a million dollars on their balance sheet, and you know maybe they aren't doing too well at that location, if that location ends up folding, they might not be able to fulfill those rental obligations. And so that's the guarantee. And now you want to make sure you're getting the largest balance sheet possible behind your lease. So many times there'll be a company, let's just say ABC Vet Company, whatever company that is, uh, or let's just say X Company actually is going to be easier. So let's say X Company, you know, they're they're great, few hundred unit operator. You're super excited. You're going to sell to these guys. But sometimes what these groups will do is they'll say, "Hey, we'll sign this lease, but the guarantor on this lease is actually going to be X Vet of Austin or X Vet of Columbus, Ohio." So that entity, actually, if you think about it, they only have that one specific location within that LLC. You're not really getting that full backing of that full parent entity. So you want to make sure you're looking out for that too. Many times they'll give subsidiary guarantees. That's not what you want. You want a full parent level guarantee, corporate guarantee. Okay. So if I was trying to advocate for that, let's say I'm in that position and I'm offered um, the the former. So something with just a small location out in the middle of Texas. And how uh, likely is it they'll be able to advocate to get to that corporate level by pushing well, back? I would say it's, it's industry standard. Is it? So it really isn't that much of a reach to ask for a corporate guarantee. Okay. Fabulous. Well, we're coming to the home stretch. So I wanted to ask if you might have an example or two of ways you feel you've had an impact on veterinary wellness, where you've seen somebody, you can see the stress melting off of them, or you've gotten some kind of feedback that you've improved the quality of their life by assisting them with making better decisions with their real estate. Well, yeah. I mean, I would say countless amount of times. Financial well-being is a key part of well-being. Obviously, money doesn't buy happiness and it shouldn't be a crutch for, you know, obviously having strong values and, you know, that whole thing. But what I will say is the amount of times we have gotten in contact with veterinarians and sold their buildings for so much more than what they thought it was worth or had them or advise them on a lease negotiation where they were literally in a position where they were going to lose out on maybe a million dollars, $2 million, whether it's on a spec ER facility or a smaller GP location, and maybe they lost out on two, 300 grand, right? That's how we've been able to just insert financial well-being into the process. It's just more knowledge. It's just knowledge. It's specialization. And again, it's a very niche focus. There aren't that many people that focus on net lease real estate, let alone veterinary net lease real estate. Mm-hmm. And you know, it's a relatively newer asset class. So just being able to impact these, um, you know, veterinarians all over the country and just be able to help them out and just essentially just take more chips off the table has been super fulfilling for us. And I think really just added over uh, overall to the well-being of the industry. Love it. Bring this down the home stretch. I want to ask you for your top two takeaways. For those listening today, if they don't remember anything else we talked about in this episode, the two things you hope that 
stick in their brain when they finish this episode? Absolutely. High-level lease terms, make sure you negotiate as long of a lease term as possible with annual increases at a minimum of 2% a year. And make sure you get a triple net lease with a guarantee, with a corporate guarantee. One kind of caveat to that is many times you'll think, hey, if an operator gives me a five-year term with three five-year renewal options, I have a 20-year lease. That's actually not the case. You have to look at the primary term, what's guaranteed. Because at the end of that five-year term, that tenant could come to you. And not not every tenant is going to do this, by the way. But a tenant could come to you and say, hey, look, I need to reduce the rent by 10% or 15% if you want me to do a five-year lease. Or, hey, maybe I'm leaving. So you want to make sure you negotiate as long of a primary term as possible. And the other thing I'll say too is tap on a real estate broker on the real estate side of things. Tap on a practice broker on the practice side of things. We have countless case studies of where we've been able to help veterinarians out. And again, look, we get paid when we ultimately sell a deal, but that's not what we're in it for. My main thing is I just want to be a resource to veterinarians. It could very well be that you want to hold on to the real estate. You might want to sell it in three years, you know, or maybe you're contemplating a sale and you want help on a negotiation. That's completely fine. Just make sure you're putting yourself in the best position possible. Um, and we're happy to give you that, our, our, our advice. I love that. I was just thinking back to my experiences with my realtor just to buy a home. And we spent, I think, at least two years together just kind of knowing each other and looking at properties and talking about it and, and learning the market before anything ever happened. And it was just uh, you know, a, a real true trusted ally and an understanding um something that was new to me. So I, I really appreciated that expertise. And for those listening today that feel they would really benefit from learning more, how can they find you and connect? Yeah. So you can find me on LinkedIn, Rahul Chajed. Uh, the Chajet has two H's in it. I don't, I don't know if you'll put it in show notes. I'll put it in show notes. Yep. Okay, perfect. And then, uh, I'm on Twitter as well. So that's real estate Rahul, just one word. Um, and then you can email me rahul.chajet at matthews.com. And, uh, if you have any questions, reach out. I'm happy to help. Wonderful. I'll put all that in the show notes today. And Rahul, I just so appreciate you being on. It's been a blast. Yeah. Thank you so much. Appreciate it. Thank you for joining me today. I hope that you feel stoked after listening to this episode. And as always, I would love to hear your comments and feedback. Is there a topic that you want to know more about? Please let me know. And thank you again for subscribing and sharing your favorite episodes with others. It really means a lot.